Well, good afternoon, Genesis. My name is Michael. I serve as uh, one of the pastors here. And sincerely, just want to say thanks. Thanks for taking time on a Sunday afternoon, uh, about an hour and a half before kickoff, to be with us this afternoon. Uh, if you're new, uh, thanks for joining us. If you've been coming around for a while, thanks for being part of what God's doing. I hope that in the moments that you've already been in the space, that you've been encouraged and maybe met some new people along the way. Uh, or maybe just seen some old faces you haven't seen in a long time. Our heart is really simple as a church. is just we want to help anyone and everyone, help all people walk with God. And so wherever you find yourself in the midst of your story today, I'm just fully confident that God has something uh, for not just you, but has something for each of us in these moments that we have. Uh, I wanted to start with a DTR. If you're not familiar with a DTR, I think most guys will be familiar with it because it's one of those conversations that you have with a girl that is just kind of weird and sometimes awkward and sometimes painful. It's that you need to define the relationship. I uh, had been dating Kyla, who's now my wife, for about two and a half, three years. I had met her family on numerous occasions. We had hung out. We had spent some time together. Uh, but on this one particular occasion, uh, we went out for dinner, and somewhere along appetizers being passed around, Kyla's dad looks straight at me and says, Michael, I'd like to know what your intentions with my daughter are. And in that moment, my heart sank, and I looked over at Kyla, and Kyla didn't say a word, but the look on her face communicated, yeah, Michael, I'm kind of interested to know what your intentions with me are as well. Now, I don't remember exactly what I said in that moment, but I fumbled through a very incoherent response that was neither satisfying to Kyla uh, and certainly not satisfying to her father. But I will never forget that moment of that DTR uh, that Kyla's dad wanted to have with me. Now, it's one thing to have a DTR with uh, a girl or maybe your future father-in-law that uh, initiates that DTR with you. But that can be awkward, but imagine for a moment uh, having a DTR, a define the relationship moment with the individual who actually was claiming to be God in flesh. Awkward with your future father-in-law, but imagine having a DTR with the individual who is claiming to be God in flesh. Um, after following Jesus for roughly three years, uh, Jesus decided to have a DTR, a define the relationship with those that were following him. In essence, Jesus just wanted to define the relationship that his followers had with him. So in order to accomplish this DTR, Jesus asked his followers two very specific questions. And the first question was this. This is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Now, to put this in modern-day vernacular, what Jesus is ultimately asking is, hey, what are people saying about me on social media right now? Like, what are the Twitter and the Facebook and the Instagram folks, what do they have to say? What's their opinion of who I am? Uh, it's not a very personal question that Jesus is asking his followers right now, but this question is a very highly intentional question because he's planting a seed or he's preparing them for this, is popular opinion going to shape personal opinion? Is what people say about me in culture, uh, in the community around us, is popular opinion going to shape your personal opinion? Well, here's the answer that the disciples gave to Jesus' first question in verse 14. 
Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say Jeremiah uh, or one of the prophets. Now, uh, what the disciples are essentially saying to Jesus in this moment is, Jesus, everyone knows and everyone really thinks you're a religious guy. The crowds are somewhat divided and even a little bit confused as to who you may be. Maybe some are, we hear are thinking that you're John the Baptist kind of raised back to life. Some are even thinking that you're like this old but dead prophet who has come back to life. But Jesus, there doesn't seem to be any confusion, actually a consensus that you have a pretty unique relationship with God. Now, Jesus listens to the response that he gets from his first question. But what's interesting is Jesus doesn't seek to correct public opinion. It doesn't seem to bother him that people are saying things like you're a dead prophet, come back to life, or you're even John the Baptist. Rather, he asks his followers his second follow-up question in this define the relationship moment. And depending on how these followers would actually answer this question would ultimately reshape who they are and would reshape forever how they live. And this is the second question that Jesus asks in verse 15. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? The first question was not personal, just public. What's the public saying? His second question in this DTR, he got very intimate and got very personal who do you say that I am? Now, before we look at how the disciples responded to this DTR question that Jesus asked, I wanted you to keep in mind everything that these followers had seen, everything that these followers had heard, everything that these followers had witnessed and experienced, the miracles, the teachings, how Jesus just interacted with the crowds. He's asking a group of folks who had been following him for three years, who had seen him heal people. People who were once blind received their sight. People who were deaf received their hearing. People who were paralyzed received the ability to walk again. People who had died, they saw him raise them back to life. This group of followers had witnessed Jesus not just miracles in people's lives, but miracles in nature. Jesus calming storms, Jesus walking on water, Jesus taking a limited amount of food and turning it into a feast for 5,000 plus people. Keep in mind that this question coming from Jesus to this group of followers was by a group of followers who had witnessed Jesus love people in ways that they hadn't seen before. They saw Jesus just love the unlovable and be so gracious and kind and compassionate and merciful to people in ways that they had not seen religious people do in times before. Remember all the things that they would have heard. Jesus saying the teachings that just amazed the crowds. And I guess keep in mind that they actually heard Jesus say, Son of God, that's who I am. So, Keep in mind, in their response, everything that they had heard over the span of three years, and this is Peter, uh, who really represented the leader of the followers, this is what Peter responded. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now, despite public opinion being very different, Peter answers Jesus' define the relationship question with, you are the Christ. You're the Messiah. You're God's anointed. 
You are the Son of God. Now, Jesus' response to Peter is eye-opening, for me at least, because he doesn't tell Peter, hey man, great job on figuring out this whole faith thing. Like some seriously good private detective work here on you discovering who I truly am. Jesus doesn't even applaud Peter for his response. Rather, he wants Peter to know, along with all the other disciples, that his response in and of itself is an absolute miracle. Doesn't give Peter a thumbs up. He wants Peter to know something that what he just said is the result of a miracle in his own life. This is what Jesus says in response to Peter declaring that you're God's anointed, the Son of God. In uh, verse 17, Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my Father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Peter, the fact that you know who I am is the result of God at work in your life. You see, what was true for Peter is true for everyone here. If there is any one of us here that would answer the question that Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? If there's any one of us here that would say, Jesus, you're the Christ, you're God's anointed, you are the son of God, then what Jesus would want you to know is that is evidence of God's miraculous work in your life. You didn't figure that out on your own. Your confession that Jesus is the Son of God is the result of God miraculously opening your eyes, softening your heart, helping your mind to comprehend this is who Jesus actually is. It's the work of God. Now, why does this matter? Why is this so important to know? Why is this the first thing that Jesus tells Peter? And I think the answer is pretty simple. Jesus does not want us being impressed by ourselves. Oh, look what I have done. Look what I have figured out. Look at what I have accomplished. Look what I know. Look how spiritual I am that I was so discerning to know that this is who Jesus actually is. Jesus wants us to realize and to recognize that a confession of Jesus as the Messiah is ultimately connected to the work of God in our lives, opening our eyes, opening our hearts, opening our minds to see who Jesus truly is. Now, why in this moment, after three years, is Jesus having a DTR with a group of followers? Like, why not after three weeks? Why not after three months? Why not at like the 12-month mark? Why after three years does Jesus finally pop the question of, guys, we need to define this relationship? I think in this moment, Jesus wanted his followers to know that if you're going to be in relationship with me, that there is something unique and powerful about being in relationship with Jesus. I think for many, once there is this confession of faith, I think the idea that many people have is, well, I just need to live out my personal faith. Like, hey, if I've confessed that Jesus is God, I just need to go live out my personal faith, and I just need to do whatever I need to do to make sure that I'm growing in my personal faith. But for Jesus, once there was a confession of Jesus, you are God's anointed, there is a new connection to community. Immediately. Soon as Peter confesses, Jesus, this is who you are, Jesus makes a connection for Peter in a way that had not been made before of Peter. You're not just 
by yourself in this confession. I'm connecting this confession to a new community that I'm forming. This is Jesus's response to Peter's confession in verse 18. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. After reminding Peter of God's work in his life, the very next thing that Jesus draws Peter's attention to is not about all the great things that will be done with and through Peter's life. The very first thing that God, uh, Jesus draws Peter's attention to is all that Jesus will do with and through his church. Now, I'm not sure where we lost our way on the church thinking that the church ultimately exists to kind of serve and meet the needs that I have, that the church ultimately exists to serve and meet the priorities and the preferences that I have. But if we would have a proper understanding of the church, then we have to take very seriously what Jesus actually said about the church. And what Jesus is saying to Peter and ultimately to the other followers and ultimately to any one of us that would be a follower of Jesus is so powerful to our understanding of community. I want you to keep in mind, immediately there was a confession. It was met with a connection to community. And so I want to share with you this afternoon very briefly three things that Jesus wants us to know about his community called the church. And the first thing is simply this. Jesus is the author of the church. In other words, the church is not first and foremost about me and you and all the preferences we have about what we think church should be like. This is not Michael Davis's church. This is not your church. The church ultimately belongs to Jesus. And so if Jesus wants us to know that he is the author of the community called the church, then the question I would ask you to think through is this. What script are you currently following as it relates to the church? Is the script you're following currently what you want or what you think the church should be? Or is the script that you're currently following actually consistent with what Jesus said the church will be? Because remember, Jesus wanted Peter to know and all the followers to know upon confession, you need to know that I will be the author of this community called the church. And the second thing that Jesus wants his followers to know upon this confession is that Jesus is building his church. In other words, the church does not start with me, nor does it stop with me. He is building something through those that follow him, through those that would confess Jesus as God's anointed. And so again, the question that if you're going to be a follower of Christ that we have to wrestle with is this question, am I helping Jesus build his church? Am I helping Jesus build what he promised to build? Am I helping to build the church through connecting with other people? Am I helping to build the church through serving people? Am I helping to build the church through giving? Am I helping to build the church by reaching those around me that just don't even know who God is or what God is like? See, if you're a follower of Christ, you're part of his church. It's not an option. Like he didn't give us that option of Peter, go enjoy a personal faith. Peter, upon your confession, I want to introduce you to the community that I am author of and that I will be building. I realize that maybe some here this afternoon, you just don't like the church. You don't like the organized church. 
or that maybe some of you are just skeptical towards the church for whatever the reason might be. And I realize that maybe a lot of you have been hurt by men or women in the church. And there's hurt that you have been carrying for some time that has led you to be somewhat disengaged or disenfranchised from the church. Now, I don't want to dismiss or diminish any of those hurts, any of those thoughts, any of those emotions that you have when you think about the church, but I just want to encourage you to remember that the church, first and foremost, belongs to Jesus. And if you're going to follow Jesus, you are connected to Jesus's community called the church. Maybe another way to say this, it's just not an option to spectate. It's not an option to throw stones at the church, be like, I don't like this, and I don't like that they do this, and I don't like that they don't do this. It's not an option to say, you know what, church just isn't for me. I'm just going to kind of go do my own thing. I'll figure this out on my own. I get that the church has been far from perfect throughout history, and maybe you've experienced its imperfections in your own history, but we must remember that Jesus is the author of the church. And his promise was, I am going to build the church, and anyone who confesses Jesus as God's anointed, as God's son, he's using us, not just some of us, but all of us, to be part of building the church with him. Now, for me, it's one of, one of the things I love about the church. I'm a church guy. I love the church. And what I specifically love about the church, meaning the people, is an incredible promise that Jesus made about the church. And this is the third final thing I want to share with you this afternoon is Jesus's church is invincible. He is the author, he is building, and what he is building is absolutely invincible. So when Jesus says, not even the powers of hell will conquer this community called the church, Jesus is making crystal clear that death and darkness and evil will not hinder the work of my community called the church. He's making it clear that you and I will not hinder the work of his church. He's making clear that no matter how dark things may be in our lives, in lives around us, just in the culture that we live in, it will not conquer his community called the church. So please hear me when I say this. If you and I are going to be part of his church, and if you're a follower, you are part of his church. Well, Jesus' church is called to redeem dark spaces and places in the world that we live. Not just in our lives, Jesus redeems the darkness in our lives, but Jesus is saying the church is going to be about redeeming darkness and evil that is in this world that we live in. And I think often the thought or reaction to that is, I'm not really sure that the church can actually make a difference, because it doesn't seem to be making a huge difference in my life. How is it possible that the church could actually make a difference in the culture and the community and the places where I live and work and study? I don't really think that the church can make that big of a difference. And I think that line of thought often creates or breeds community of spectators. I get that, yeah, the church is the church, but I, I stopped believing a long time ago that the church could actually make a difference in the darkness and the evil that exists in the world in which we live. Whatever it takes. You know where that phrase or that line is from? This past spring, uh, early summer, 
the final installment in the Avengers came out. And if you haven't seen it, then I don't know what planet you've been living on, but the last made over $2 billion uh, this past spring and summer. And the basic premise of Avengers Endgame is the evil character named as Thanos had snapped his fingers, and in the span of a snap, 50% of humanity was completely wiped out, and just darkness and evil was reigning and just ruling. And there was just utter devastation and brokenness. But yet, in the Avengers Endgame, there is this team of Avengers who had one thing to say about it. What they had to say about it is, whatever it takes... If you remember the scene where Captain America gives this compelling speech right before they're about to invade the quantum realm and time travel, which just isn't possible, (laughs) Captain America gives this phenomenal speech and just says, guys, we will do whatever it takes, whatever it takes, we will give our lives in order to bring life back, in order to redeem and restore the darkness that has come upon us, we will do whatever it takes. And Rocket the Raccoon just is like, man, that was a compelling speech, Captain America. Now, I know it's just a silly movie quote, but what I've been wondering is if we, the church, the community that Jesus has brought together, what would it look like if all of us here said, we're going to do whatever it takes? We will do whatever it takes together to redeem what has just been lost, to be light in darkness, what would it look like if all of us, not just some of us or a few of us or a handful of us, but what would it look like if all of us just simply said, hey, whatever it takes, we will do whatever it possibly takes just to help a few more people walk with God and to know God's great love for them. What would it look like if we were all committed to just saying, hey, whatever it takes of growing together and serving together and giving together and loving together, don't you think a community such as this could actually begin to make an impact and an influence if we were all saying whatever it takes in the places we work, the places we study, the places we live, say whatever it takes because Jesus' church is absolutely invincible. To put things in context, Genesis currently is a church of about 1,000 people. Typical weekend, there's between 800 to 850 adults who gather between three services and about 150 to 200 kids under the age of 10. Do you not think that a community such as this, if all of us made the simple commitment to say, whatever it takes, we're part of Jesus's church that he is the author of, that he is building, and said, even the powers of hell will not come against my community called the church, could not begin to make an impact and a difference in the darkness and the evil in the world in which we live. See, I'm convinced that that's what Jesus is inviting you and I to be part of. When Jesus said invincible, I don't know how else to define it other than to say no one or nothing will hinder or get in the way of the work that God has for us. And he made clear, Jesus did, that if you're going to follow me, then followers of Christ will be used to redeem the darkness and the evil and the brokenness that exist in not just our lives, but in the lives of those around us. 
This is what Jesus invited you to be part of if you're going to be a follower of his. This is what Genesis is inviting you to be part of, a community that will do whatever it takes to help as many people as we possibly can walk with God. But this is crucial. We cannot do this just by ourselves. We have to be all in together. We cannot do this by ourselves. We must do this together. Please remember, when Peter confessed, you're God's anointed, Jesus met that confession with a connection to community. There wasn't a, Peter, go live out your faith on your own. Jesus was not concerned about developing personal believers. He was committed to developing a community of believers, a community of followers. What I believe Jesus is inviting us to be renewed in today is just a renewed walk in community, a renewed commitment to Jesus' church, a renewed commitment to doing whatever it takes to help as many people as we possibly can through serving, through giving, through connecting, through loving one another, do whatever it takes to help as many people as we can walk with God. I want to have a DTR with you for a moment. And the question I want to ask of you is, if you're a follower of Jesus today, what are your intentions with Jesus' church? That was the question that changed my life in relationship with Kyla. When her father asked me, what are your intentions with my daughter? That changed the trajectory of my relationship with his daughter forever. What are your intentions with Jesus' church? Because if you're a follower of Christ, you're part of the church, and Jesus' intentions for you is that you would do whatever it takes to be part of his invincible church. That you would be, your intentions are to do whatever it takes to play your role, to play your part in his story, so that the stories you would be telling are not stories of just you, but stories of what all of us, what we are getting to see God use our community to help redeem brokenness, to be light in a world that has a lot of darkness. What are your intentions with Jesus' church? And lastly, if you are not yet a follower of Christ, then the question for you is the question that Jesus asked them, who do you say that I am? Because Jesus' intentions with you is that you would know that he is the son of God who makes a way for you to know God. Jesus' intentions for you are that you would know that, hey, there's only one way to know God, to friendship with God, to have peace with God throughout eternity. And it's not through being religious and moral and spiritual and pious and your attempts to do good works. Jesus made clear, I am the only way that you will know a holy God. And he invites you to follow him.